The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, with thoughts on the midweek round they didn't want to happen and the remarkable year it brings to a close. Messi changing addressy. The Super League, a breakaway move so disastrous it could have been promoted on the side of a bus. And the Saudi money that doesn't line up at Anfield. The state of the game, the state's in the game and all our biggest memories of the past 12 months coming up in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Late last night, under the cover of darkness, the European Super League project was formally launched. We want a new pie, and it's going to be our pie, and we're going to eat it all. I think supporters up and down this country can stop this. I really do believe it. I want to apologise to all the fan supporters of Liverpool Football Club for the disruption I caused over the past 48 hours. Tillemans, this is where they want the ball. Tillemans from distance, right for it. Yes! What a goal! What a goal! They've scored the FA Cup goal! Kai Havertz with his first ever Champions League goal, and it could hardly be a bigger one. Trippier who'll cross, and it's Luke Shaw! It's the start of dreams! Saka has to score. The concede is still so many chances. Now, if you do that against Manchester City or Liverpool, half time, it'll be 3 or 4 0. Jota, Salah. Absolute mayhem for Manchester United. I made great friends, I've reconnected with some great friends, and we'll see each other again. Ooh, December the 30th, 2021, listen, and who's that? Pausing at the crest of this metaphorical hill to cast a gaze back over their shoulder before pressing on into 2022. Why, Duncan Alexander, Dom Fifield, and Rory Smith. Hello to you all. Hello. Hello. Hi. So, 2021. That's the year, not Arsenal fans counting the number of seasons since they last won the title. Uh, we'll, we'll do this properly at the end, but Duncan, just give us a little teaser. Have you got a stat of the year that you're you're saving up for us? Uh, I've got quite a few, actually. I mean, I think, obviously, this year, a bit like last year, was, uh, was heavily influenced by our favourite novel, Coronavirus. And uh, I enjoyed, in February, Jonathan Van Tam using the football analogy that although the uh, vaccination programme had started, it was very like being 3-0 up, um, but then going on to lose 4-3 if you're not careful, um, which is actually an incredibly rare rare scenario. It happens, it's happened four times in about 1,400 occasions in Premier League history. So, uh, right. yeah, just, you know, be careful. OK, as I say, we'll, we'll do a proper deep dive into 2021 and what it meant to you later on. But Dom, something perhaps you'd like to throw away? Throw away? No, throw our way. Oh, actually, is there something you'd like to throw away? You've got one thing you can throw, throw away. away from 2021. <laughs> All memories of the Super League can be thrown away. Really? Um, fans back in the stadium. That was, that was that was the highlight of my year, and that's what I'm clinging to as we go into into 2022. That we we keep taking right. taking my lad to a football match again and watching the. The sheepish joy in his face as Callum Wilson scores an overhead kick against his team, um, but the, the very fact that he's there witnessing it first-hand—that that that made up for something. All right, magnificent. That's what it's all about, right, Rory? Yeah, Dom's taking the best one. To be fair, I think that 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 has been the the main kind of uplifting thing about the year. I think. Fun of, I, had to do, I did the radio the, the other day, and, and we did a, a very brief kind of year in review section. All of my strongest memories are from the Euros, and I right. think a lot of that is because. Well, A, it was the Euros, but B, just there were fans there and it had been so long since we'd seen proper crowds and just to be kind of, even like the Spain-Italy game at Wembley, the semi-final, which wasn't, it wasn't as seismic as any of the England games there, but just to have that, those big kind of, that noise, that, that buzz, that kind of anticipation that you get with the crowd was, was really special. Mm. If anything, there were too many fans there for, for some months. Yeah, exactly. If, if any, yeah, to an extent, you, you question whether there is a sweet spot of, <laughs> of the number of fans, roughly around the stadium's capacity, I would say, mm. For, mm. for how many people should be at a football match. Well, indeed. All right, we'll be, we're getting rosy-eyed about more of the uh, 
the moments of the past 12 months a little bit later on. But first, let's do the midweek action, round 20 of this Premier League season, into the second half. Yeah, interesting few days. Monday, technically round 19, but at this point, who's counting? Newcastle shone in a 1-1 draw with a Man United side that looked anything but. Tuesday, Crisis Club Leicester went and beat Liverpool 1-0. It's the first time that Liverpool have failed to score since April. Ten-man Southampton drew 1-1 with Spurs. West Ham beat Watford 4-1. And Crystal Palace beat Norwich 3-0. Dean Smith becoming the first manager in Premier League history to have two five-match losing streaks with two different clubs in the same season. Wednesday, Danny Welbeck's late, late strike at the bridge earned Brighton a 1-1 draw against Tuchel's slumping Blues and completed a very good midweek for Man City, who themselves were 1-0 winners at Brentford thanks to Phil Foden's lone goal. City are now eight points clear of Chelsea and nine of Liverpool, who do have one game in hand. Mm, eight points kind of at the halfway mark that that feels like a lot yeah it's, it, it feels like it's too early to to say that it's definitively over but at the same time it feels like it's definitively over because you you can't quite see City dropping City would have to collapse in a way that doesn't really feel possible for City to collapse for, for Liverpool and Chelsea or Liverpool or Chelsea to overtake them which given that what we're a month away from the point where we thought we had this sort of fascinating three-way title race is remarkable Mm, absolutely. The thing, the thing about collapses is they often don't seem possible until they, they suddenly happen. I guess you would have said the same thing about Chelsea, as you say, a month ago. They were, what, three points clear in that. Sorry, Duncan. Yeah, I was going to just say that um, a few people have pointed this out, but City don't really collapse. Every season where they haven't won the league, they tend to have started badly and never just really get into the race and just sort of, you know, aren't there. Um, when they get to this position, generally, they know what they're doing. I mean, I guess the only... The only counterpoint is that now they've sold Ferran Torres, they do famously have a very small squad of senior pros. So if there was an injury crisis, if there was more COVID-related impact from that... If Grealish and Foden go out again, well, you know. Yeah, they get lost in a snowdrift or something and don't appear again till, till April. But, but um, So there is that outside possibility that they could do it, but you, you just think that Pep Guardiola knows how to manage that squad so well. I mean, mm. they've almost got a kind of half-B team that they sort of put out on at Brentford. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne is almost like the kind of captain of the City semi-B team now, which is pretty impressive. Um, so, yeah, I can't see it Can't see it happening. Mm. They've already been to Stamford Bridge. They've already been to Anfield, Old Trafford, the King Power and the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium this season. And they are eight points clear. Eight points clear with their rivals playing each other this Sunday, or what's left of them. Both, of course, Chelsea and Liverpool coming off disappointments. Dom, you were following... Wednesday night, Chelsea's draw at home to Brighton. Who were outstanding. Bright, Brighton absolutely bossed it. It's very, very rare that you see a, a team come to Stamford Bridge and, and and overrun Chelsea. And that's what Brighton did for long periods of that match. Um, they were they were superb and thoroughly merited the, at least the point. But but Chelsea are broken. Chelsea have, uh, have gone even a squad as, as deep as Chelsea's. Just looks completely shredded at the moment um, by by COVID and injury, and, and the fact that he's insisting on playing players who are coming back from long layoffs and are, and are not fit. They're they're not match fit. They're not up to up to shape yet. Um, th- there is some culpability, I think, that can be thrust towards Tuchel. I mean, this is a this is Chelsea. This is a a very very deep squad and a, a, a lot of quality in in that squad. And just look at the the, the players that were unused. On the bench last night, internationals all about Malang Sar. Um, maybe he's a victim of of a, of a club that that are competing on in every competition they've entered this season. I think it's, you know they've got the Club World Cup to come. They, they have five competitions all, all all told. He's picked teams to to win those matches and, and to ensure that they they progress. When maybe he could have prioritised slightly differently. Maybe he could have blooded more players from the under twenty threes. Maybe they. Could have kept some of the lads that they've they've loaned out, or indeed let go to Southampton for next to no money. Um, mm. But it's really come back to bite them badly, and they they look stretched to breaking point now, picking up injuries left, right, and centre, and just just gone on every level. Yeah, a couple of really big injuries uh, in the course of that game. Brighton, though, coming into last weekend, they'd gone twelve games without a win. They ended that run with that two 0 victory over Brentford, and now this scoring their first ever goal 
away at Stamford Bridge. They're now 10 points better off than they were at this stage last season. Wednesday night, Lukaku opening the scoring for Chelsea in the 28th minute. But after that, Chelsea didn't have another shot while Brighton had 13. Some would feel they were unlucky not to take all three points. The, the one thing that, that really struck me was I'm, I'm staggered that Antonio Rudiger wasn't sent off. Hmm. Because that, that seemed... I do, it's not been really... Because Brighton got the equaliser, so it didn't feel as though they were, they were robbed as a point away at Stamford Bridge is a, is a great result for Brighton, for, for anyone. It, it maybe hasn't become the controversy that it, that, that it might have done had Chelsea gone on to win the game. Mm. But I, I had been led to believe by the latest edition of football's rules as designed by PGMOL 2021-2022 <laughs> that if you jump up in the air and then kind of come down with both your feet off the ground in a stamping motion, that regardless of what happens, you get sent off. And yet Rudiger did that in a really kind of obvious fashion. And there didn't seem to be any real hoo-ha about the fact that he was only given a yellow card. VAR didn't intervene. Hmm. I was re- I'm really surprised. And I don't, this isn't kind of trying to get people more players sent off. But I was really surprised that that, that, that was not A, a red card, and then B, like a big stink for, for not being a red card. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's been a, a rush of similar uh, incidents the Harry Kane moment, the Granite Xhaka one, uh, I think a fortnight ago. Tyler Morton for Liverpool mm. against Leicester as well, the, which Good should memory. have been a red. Kane, which should have been a red. I would have said that Rudy does was, was kind of more, this, isn't, this very much isn't a he's the England captain so he can do no wrong thing, but Rudy does was almost a more blatant example of the thing they're trying to get rid of than Kane. Mm. And it was only the fact that Rudy did, did get the ball, but we are told constantly that that doesn't matter. So in a way, I think Chelsea kind of got away with it a little bit. Just losing Rudiger to a suspension would have been really problematic for them. The argument put forward by Mark Clattenburg through Amazon was that that he, he leapt two-footed, made contact with the ball, but he was always ahead of the man, and therefore there was never any chance of him making any contact with the man. But mm. I have to say, it, it looked wild. Um, he just completely mistimed it because he, he had no need to do that. He could have just slid, slid in and, and, and hooked the ball clear. He didn't need to go in two-footed. There's an element. I think there was an element of warning to Lamptey, wasn't there? It was kind of mm. don't. It was that kind of that, that the modern version of that old-fashioned reducer, kind of don't <laughs> don't you dare <laughs> take take me on. I I get what Clattenburg's saying there, but that what happens if Tarek Lamptey speeds up? Right. Do you know what I mean? Like if you put that tackle in, even if you're ahead of the man. <laughs> that philosophical question that, yeah. that we've all <laughs> asked. What happens if Andy Robertson hadn't jumped? I know. Uh, just on the subject of uh, of Brighton, though, how how do, I know that Chelsea have got major problems with their squad and that, but in Brighton. And how were they able to so control the game after Lukaku scored? Bissouma, really. It seemed, it seemed, he seemed to be key. I mean, he, he'd he had a fortnight off. Um, I think he was suspended. And uh, he absolutely dominated midfield. And, and he was up against Matteo Kovacic, who's, who'd played 52 minutes in two and a bit months and and looked as if he was completely undercooked and and Jorginho who was the opposite he's he's just been playing through pain and is and he's overcooked now he's just he's just gone he had one of those nights where everything went wrong but Bissouma he he picked the ball up deep he drove through midfield he he absolutely dominated that area and Chelsea had no answer to him and once you're right from the moment Lukaku scored and and Incidentally, they only really scored because I think Brighton switched off because there was a long delay ahead of the taking of that free kick while Rhys James hobbled off with his hamstring problem. A lack of concentration from Brighton at the resultant free kick. But, I mean, from that moment on, Brighton absolutely dominated and until really N'Golo Conte came off the bench and, and injected a bit more energy into Chelsea's performance late on. But, look, the, the goal was, was the very, very least that, that, that Brighton merited from the game. They, they, they thoroughly outplayed Chelsea for long periods. Mm. Danny Welbeck in, what was it, the, the 91st, 91st minute? But he's stealing Neil Mopé's lines there, isn't he? Why? Is, is Mopé normally... Mopé the, the in, late... in stoppage time at the end is, is right. a recurring theme in Brighton's season. He's, uh, yeah, I can say to some cost, Mopé <laughs> given for Celeste Park. I mean, given that they conceded a goal against Manchester United after the final whistle last season it feels like <laughs> cosmic justice that they keep scoring all these late goals so. that cannot possibly have been last season that must have been seven or eight years ago <laughs> yeah possibly mm-hmm. the, the, the Graham Potter rightly gets loads of praise he's clearly a very talented coach they're a really well run club but there's a lot to admire about Brighton and obviously they've become kind of the XG 
poster boys both for and against like they've they they underperformed and they kind of overperformed and then they're kind of they are the model for why xg is quite useful really because we know that brighton last season particularly brighton were playing well but not scoring goals and you kind of had this number that proved that they were playing well which is the point of xg but you do you do wonder whether there is a point at which the club have to say right we we very clearly are playing really nice football we are good enough to compete with with all but the very very best at their very best in the Premier League they can you know they can they outplayed Chelsea last night admittedly when Chelsea are weakened they outplayed Liverpool at Anfield a few months ago and they went 2-0 down and then dominated them for 70 minutes and were unlucky not to win that game you wonder at what point the club maybe has to say right there isn't kind of an obvious solution to this that if we can mm. go and get a reliable goal scorer and maybe we have to pay more than we would like. You know, they they Brighton are brilliant at making those really smart signings from undervalued markets. Th- that would maybe be the way that they can take the next leap. Because it is it's not great mm. for all the plaudits to go twelve games without a win. This is what Chelsea thought they were doing when they signed Lukaku, because hasn't True. entirely worked out. Duncan. Yeah, I think Rory's right, and I think if Brighton are confident enough that they've got what it takes to stay in the Premier League year on year, then they can do that but I think the spectre of Benito Carboni hangs over clubs like Brighton for a long <laughs> yeah. time you know like this idea that just one one flagship striker can can push us to the next level and then it then it all goes badly wrong it's good, that's it's true good that we've shifted the tone of the conversation here from you know a club that's got one win in 13 matches against a team who's only lost once in September which is what happened yesterday Chelsea lost one game in all competitions in September but this is this is the problem for Chelsea and Liverpool that that James described at the start, Chelsea is a slump. Chelsea have basically drawn three games at home yeah. and that's cost them their place in the title race. Well, four, that's, and five. four and five. Yeah, four and five. They, but yeah. they're not, apart from, apart from you know, drawing at home to Brighton, not brilliant. Drawing at home to Everton in the situation Everton are in, not brilliant. But point at Wolves is fine. That's a good result. That's In normal times, that's a good result. And it's the same with Liverpool. Liverpool have lost twice to, to West Ham when they were flying and to Leicester, to a weakened Leicester. And that's probably done them. And the, the problem that I think we have as we look at these teams, I don't know how either of you feel about it, but you feel like you're criticising teams who are actually having really good seasons. And they are having, you know, Liverpool and Chelsea both on course about 84 points. That's really good. And there comes a point where you have to say, well, look, just because you can't keep pace with City hmm. doesn't mean that you are failing. All right. Second place. No shame in that. But which one's going to get it, though? Rory, uh, Chelsea and Liverpool facing each other this coming Sunday. Well, Liverpool... I would have said Chelsea, but then Dom's, Dom's made me think that they're rubbish now. So The number of players available might be a bit rubbish. Uh, Rhys James, as we heard, going off. Andres Christensen also going out to injury in the course of Wednesday's game. Ben Chilwell, the club announced, will be out for the rest of the season as well. So uh, as Thomas Tuchel was pointing, pointing out post-match, we have no wing-backs. There are no wing-backs left. Uh, they have Liverpool coming up. Liverpool, as you mentioned, Rory, fresh from defeat, 1-0 away at the King Power on Tuesday against a Leicester team. And again, just a bit of perspective here. Leicester, who had a pretty vast number of players out injured themselves. Leicester, who were facing the Liverpool side, who had just knocked them out of the Carabao Cup. And Leicester, who had just conceded six goals away to Manchester City in their previous game. This was a remarkable result for Brennan Rodgers. Yeah, it was it was very different, I think, to the the Chelsea Brighton game. In that Liverpool, you could replay this game. I think Liverpool would win usually. They had a lot of chances. Obviously, Salah missed the penalty, then uh, missed the rebound, like a header, which live on TV was from a really odd angle because mm. they had the behind the goal shot, and it almost looked like a really early two thousands video game when he jumped up really slowly, and then you were like, "What? Where is the ball? And why is it moving in that strange manner?" Then it hit the hit the crossbar, but. I mean, everyone's talked about Salah and Mane going to the to Afcon, but they wasted 2.3 xG between them in that game. Um, Mane had a really good chance in the second half, so it was one of those games where Liverpool they didn't play well, but they could have mm. easily won the match. So it feels like more of a that feels like more of a kind of title squandering performance, I think, than, than Chelsea, given all their all their current issues. Um, and I guess the the flip side to that is you, you you could see Liverpool coming back strongly against Chelsea this weekend. Right. Leicester, though, if if you start their recent run from say half time in their game at City, then what a run they're on! They won that last forty five <laughs> minutes three two against Pep's side, and now a one 0 victory over Liverpool. But the, is there the something here? The other difference I think with between the the Chelsea Brighton result and Liverpool Leicester was that this sounds really harsh, but I don't think Leicester played that well. 
they were they were well organized and they were resilient but they gave the ball away so much they invited so much pressure onto them and i know that they had you know and Didi and amati in center back and and hamza chowdhury and um, i thought sumari was really good and dewsbury hall was fantastic but it you know weakened midfield but they it it didn't feel like one of those kind of classic counter-attacking performances where you mm. sit deep you absorb pressure and then you're really kind of ruthless on the counter-attack Leicester didn't really do much they had one shot on target and which was the goal so but the, the, and their keeper was man of the match yeah but he only but, and this is the flip side that Duncan men- mentioned the XG and I think Liverpool it was like 2.43 to 0.61 so Liverpool dominated the XG but I don't think that captures either the fact that Liverpool didn't look at any point like they knew how to break Leicester down it struck me as being two teams who Liverpool played really, really, really badly yeah. and Leicester played OK-ish and won because of that. Well, it was Liverpool's last game of the year and it reminded me of much of their, many of their games early in the year when they went on that abysmal run at home where they, you know, they had a couple of chances early on and if, that, if one of those didn't go in, they really ran out of ideas. And yeah, they had a lot of the ball and they had shots from distance and, you know, the odd, the odd maybe effort from a set piece. But yeah, it never really looked like a functioning team, which is odd because a few weeks ago, they really did. And I guess you can point to, sorry to mention it, Don, but the, the, this time last year when they went to Palace and, and won 7-0 and everyone was like, well, they're going to retain the title. And then, and then it just came around the corner. So... But I think this is very much football in these times, isn't it? That there's no, it's very hard to to build that consistency. The only team that seemed to be able to do it are Manchester City, and and lo and behold, uh, Liverpool yet to score from open play in two meetings against Thomas Tuchel's iteration of the Blues. Only one Mo Salah penalty so far. Mm. Can we just mention, obviously, Mo Salah's penalty at Leicester, which wasn't yeah. very good, and like nearly all, uh, well. Most of his penalties in his career at Liverpool have gone at that, in that exact spot. So you don't have to be kind of super predictive to for Schmeichel to to make that decision. Right. And I looked at a map of his penalties, and hardly any any of them are in the corner. And he's got a really good record. And it made me think: is he is Mo Salah the the kind of least effective penalty taker with the secretly best record, or the other way around, if you like. So he, like, he really mm. shouldn't have as good a penalty record as he does, I don't think. But he hasn't he, failed to convert a Premier League penalty since 2017, until yeah. Tuesday night. Yeah, remarkable. Well, speaking of super predictive, Duncan, you've got a machine that mm. does predictions of all the, the the upcoming Premier League round. What what does it say about Chelsea Liverpool? What what ticker tape has it spewed out regarding Hang that? I, can, I haven't looked yet, but I can look now. So. Can you look live? Have you got it there uh-huh. with you? I can fire it up. So, yes, the supercomputer in all mm-hmm. its glory. Can you say this Currently, in a computer voice? I can't say it. I'm not uh, fit Duncan's to Duncan's still recovering from COVID, listener. Yeah. I maybe, I maybe need a robot voice. Do a, do a robot voice. Come on. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, this will be good. Um, Sunday... Chelsea FC Chelsea of London will play Liverpool. I'm not doing the whole thing like that. Come on. So, the supercomputer just made me sound like an eminent physicist. Let's not beat around the bush. Um, Chelsea on 30.8% chance of winning. Draw 28.8. Liverpool slightly edging it on 40.4%. Why why do you think the supercomputer thinks that? Well, it takes into account recent form strength right. uh, and then history and, and other stuff but yeah I think I think that feels about right Liverpool's slightly slight favourites but okay. not massively so are you worried Dom about what Thomas Tuchel what, what it might do to his mental well-being not getting a good result on Sunday <laughs> well you know what plenty of Chelsea managers in the past would have been fretting about losing track in the title race in January and you know looking over their shoulders at Arsenal um, coming coming at them and getting closer. Although Arsenal are fourth now for once, um, look, it, it's it just feels exceptional circumstances at even at Stamford Bridge at the moment. To be honest, mm. it's, he he was talking about it. He he was even suggesting that, that sports scientists don't really know how to cope with any of this at, at, at Chelsea. This um, again, had okay, of sports but, scientists well, <laughs> <laughs> quite possibly. Um, it's just. I don't know that they. I mean, they're they're just lacking too many players, and and right. and he hasn't. He, I don't think he's managed it particularly well. I think he could have given more people more time, game time, so they'd be up to speed, um, and 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 maybe use the squad better, use the the resources better. But but he's in a situation now where 
he has to pick the 11 bodies that he's got against Liverpool and I don't think it'll be very well balanced I mean Thiago Silva's a massive mix he, he's still mm. suffering from a hamstring problem they, and I don't know where their back line is <laughs> if they're having to pick Malang Sarr they're in big trouble against Liverpool let's put it like that yeah alright well just to finish off this section of the show uh, City by the time Chelsea and Liverpool face off could be 11 points clear they're visiting Arsenal on Saturday lunchtime kickoff on New Year's Day uh, oh Mikel Arteta We'll miss this match after testing positive for COVID-19. Mm. Time is a flat circle. Mm. Yeah. So it all started, isn't it? Patient zero, isn't it? Last time these two teams faced, City were 5-0 winners. This was back in August. It was Arsenal's third defeat in their first three games. They were actually at the bottom, the bottom of the Premier League table back then. And uh, they made changes. Well, Arteta made changes. He brought in Aaron Ramsdale and Gabriel. And since then, with they've been doing pretty well as long as they didn't face anybody in the top, kind of, uh, with this exception of one game against West Ham, anybody good, uh, they were doing pretty well. What's going to happen when they face City? Could this be the latest twist? Duncan, does your supercomputer say that it will definitely be Arsenal nil, Manchester City 3 after 25 minutes? Does if it, <laughs> if it doesn't, then the computer's wrong. Your computer agrees wholeheartedly and it also <laughs> points out that uh, they've Man City have scored in the opening two minutes in their last two trips to Arsenal. So, have uh, they? Mm, so it's, it always makes me smile. It's funny that Arteta's going to be missing in this game because it does feel like um, former student against teacher mm. sort of scenario and you know Pep's very complimentary about Arteta but that's very easy to do after they've just smashed them 5-0 as per. So... You could make a case for Arsenal. They are better, but as as pointed out, they have lost heavily to uh, to the top three this season. Mm. So. This this won't be a popular opinion, but I'm I'm always surprised. It, speaking of time being a flat circle, it does feel like Arsenal just kind of go through the same emotional journey like 13 times a season, where they mm. they beat. You looked at the last five games; they've beaten you know West Ham at home, which is impressive, and Southampton at home, which you, you know they should be doing. But you know, still fair play. You can't criticise them for beating someone three uh, nil. And then they they beat Leeds under 15s. They beat Sunderland of Lead One in the in the Carabao Cup, and they put five past Norwich, who who are awful. And you you, you get to this this point where. You kind of got, you know, Emil Smith Rowe and Odegaard's being hailed as like the new Zidane. And I saw mm. someone compare Smith Rowe to Robert Perez, which feels a little bit early. That you got this sense that, you know, that Arsenal are building into something. And what, ha- what happens every single time is they run into somebody good and they lose heavily. Mm. And that is, is where Arsenal are. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. They've got a really good core of young of young players and in a couple of years that core if they, if they keep developing if they stay together will be something really 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 impressive but at the moment they are good against bad teams and they're bad against good teams and that's just where Arsenal are Well I hear what you're saying Rory, but um, where where Arsenal also are is fourth in the table and as I say given that they were bottom of the Premier League last time they they came up against Man City that counts for something surely anyway Arsenal weren't in action over the past few days. Plenty of other teams were, though. So next up, let's touch on one or two of the other midweek events. Hi again, listeners. It's Carl Mullen from Paddy Power. Well, Man City have stretched clear at the top of the Premier League table. Speaking of stretching, I suspect my Christmas jumper has shrunk in the wash as it feels more like a straitjacket after my calorific festive period of indulgence. Hashtag no regrets. Back to the football and we saw back on Boxing Day in 2019, Liverpool deliver a 4-0 win at the King Power that propelled them to the title. A couple of nights ago we witnessed the opposite, didn't we? A 1-0 defeat at the hands of Brendan Rodgers' men and it really did look like the first real big move in the title race with City's win at Brentford seeing Pep's men go 9 clear of Liverpool with Klopp's men having a game in hand and 8 clear of Tuchel's stuttering blues. Man City of the odds on favourites now, 10-1 on we make them. Liverpool are 15-2, Chelsea 14-1. The top four race between Man United, Spurs, Arsenal and West Ham is sure to be one of interest in 2022. United are the favourites at 6-5 to make the top four. Arsenal are 2-1. Spurs look a bet under Conte at 11-4, while West Ham are 17-2. Now down at the bottom, the Canaries look doomed, I think we all agree. But Newcastle have a few very interesting couple of weeks ahead with games against Southampton, Watford and Leeds. If you fancy Newcastle listeners staying up after a January splurge, the Paddy Power Traders will give you 6-5 to five for nice guy Eddie and the tune to stay up. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com 
or indeed the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s. T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org. And remember, take time to think. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Manchester United caught out. Here is the dangerous Sam Maxima. How dangerous can he be? That dangerous. The hair looked and then saw the net rustle. All right, Monday. At St James's Park, what a result for Newcastle! One-one with Man United. Duncan, how how excited were you? Um, yeah, it was good. It was, it felt like I'd just woken up from uh, from the nineteen nineties, and here we were, and it was a really exciting Newcastle v Manchester United game with not amazing passing skills, but a lot of energy. So uh, it was very authentic, but um, very much. I think a step back in the Ralph Ranick revolution and uh, and a possible um well it felt for a long time like a, a real step forward for Eddie Howe and then mm. they proceeded to lose Callum Wilson possibly for ages um and then Alan St Maximum for you know hopefully less less long but still those two would be ripping the core out of Newcastle's attack pretty much so yeah. Um, but yeah I mean it was as pointed out by Gary Neville it was a very uh stroppy display by Manchester United um, which is pretty common for this squad I think I think it was quite telling that um, Cavani came on and had five shots which was pretty much you know almost as many as the rest of the team put together um, and he looks like a, the best forward they have at the moment and I'm surprised that well am I surprised that he isn't in the, in the starting eleven? perhaps not I think we know why mm. well we'll touch on the potential fractures and fissures at, uh, at Old Trafford in a second or two. But Newcastle, a real issue for them without Wilson and Sam Maxim. And their midweek game against Everton has been uh, cooled off, which will give them some time to recoup. Uh, what are they going to do? Maybe convert this promising midfielder they've got, Joe Linton, into some kind of forward? Would that be the plan? <laughs> do you think Freddie Howe? I hope he doesn't, because he's been brilliant in central midfield. <laughs> Keep him there. It sounds as if... Um, the prognosis on Sam Maximan isn't quite as bad as first feared, so hopefully he he will come back pretty soon. I mean, slightly more worrying on Callum Wilson, but it's not as if Newcastle haven't gone through periods where Callum Wilson's been injured in the in the past. Uh, January is almost upon us. You'd like to mm. hope they've got some deals lined up pretty early on in the window that people can come in and hit the ground running because their next few games probably are key. In terms of the league, Southampton away, which will be really difficult because that Southampton have got bags of energy and quality. Um, and then games with Watford and Leeds, they need to pick up points in those ones. Even without January signings, are you looking at the way they played and with, say, the conversion of Joel Linton into this marauding midfield presence, uh, are you now quite positive about their chances of staying up, given that they're now only two points from Watford and safety? I still think they need strengthening. I really do. I mean... It's you're still playing catch up. Yeah, Watford could go the other way, but but it, the margins are so narrow. They 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 need to they need to strengthen. They need to they need more bodies in the building. I think the problem they've got is that at Burnley have got all those games in hand. Four and of all the teams that don't need a massive fixture pileup, it's probably Burnley who's who've got a senior squad of twelve players. <laughs> the so <laughs> when they're going to play all of them, yeah, I'm not sure, and that. It's yeah. odd that Sean Dyche is so adamant that that he wants like for the you know Dyche remains totally adamant that five subs is a is the enemy of of mm. equality and that you know it benefits the big teams and that you know the big teams shouldn't complain about playing loads of games over Christmas. Burnley are the team that suffers the most from all of this stuff because Burnley've got such a small squad that mm. they can't deal with fixture pileups. And I find it strange that Sean Dyche doesn't see that, but he, he apparently doesn't. But then you've got you've got Watford, Burnley. Norwich look like they're doomed. And Newcastle to an extent are kind of reliant on one of Leeds, Everton or Southampton blowing up, which which is eminently possible. But equally it's quite possible that all three of those suddenly get, you know, three wins out of six or something and put a load of distance between them and the relegation battle. And I Dom's totally right. There is there is a really fine margin, whatever Newcastle do in January, mm. that their fate is totally in the hands of other teams. They need basically Watford to collapse, Burnley to get hit by a fixture pile up, 
and probably leads to not get their players back. And that, that isn't a great recipe for success, I don't think. Although you don't have to be a supercomputer to kind of feel that all those scenarios are quite quite possible. On the subject of United, though, Aurora, you tweeted about this game that it was a solid first step to Man United deciding that what they really need is not a modern <laughs> progressive coach, but someone who just really gets the club. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. I thought I thought Rangnick was a was simultaneously like a brilliant appointment as he's really smart and he's a really good club builder and he's good at doing all the boring stuff like putting structures in place that mean there's like a cohesive approach between the academy and the first team, but also just a total. It was like the random yet another random acquisition that United had done. Kind of we've bought Ronaldo and we've bought Bruno Fernandez and we've bought all these star players and we've bought Jaden Sancho because he's the young talent. But then we're going to replace him with the thirty six year old. And now they're, they're kind of buying in wholesale Gaiden pressing because they've gone and got the guy who invented Gaiden pressing. And it all just felt like this yet another weird thing that had been like a weird, yeah, a weird like trope that had been thrown into this strange mix of Manchester United. And it did occur to me that I, I think Rand, it's a, a really smart appointment. I think he's a really smart guy. But it is possible it doesn't work to the extent that United think it will work or need mm. it to work. And at that point, they will, if we know anything about Manchester United, they will ricochet back. To mm. what they've, what they what they had before, where they feel that they need this, not necessarily another Solskjaer, but kind of a Paul totemic, yeah, Paul Scholes or or Juan Sebastian or Lee Sharp or Clayton Blackmore or someone like that to just kind of lead the club through with with the DNA, or that they'll go they'll they'll leave the kind of the model that Rangnick I'm pretty sure will be advocating to one side and say what we actually need is a, is an all powerful manager. Let's go and give a manager loads of money and authority to do to shape the squad as he wants, and they'll be back to square one. And the problem they've got is that if it doesn't go well, it is quite hard to see how Rangnick can have authority as a consultant for two years. You know, if he's the guy who's not got them to the Champions League, are you going to let him right. appoint your manager? Hmm. Pe- people already questioning his hold over the dressing room. A lot of talk about cliques of him falling out with a senior player over the fact that they trained until night fell. and uh, Yeah, there wasn't the line that the, the, the players had to go home in the dark, which is, uh, I mean... Mm-hmm. If- well, as someone who lives in the north, I would point out that it, it's dark from about half past two. Right, which is when you stop work, I think, isn't it? Right. It is. We all we all just go back to our hovels. When the mill shuts. Yeah. <laughs> when the mill shuts. Yeah, we, we all have to clock out of the factory and then just go home and, and eat drool. The, I'm fascinated by the... Don will have experienced this at some point, I think. Like, There's always a trope whenever a new manager comes in and introduces this biorhythmic training that they like to do, which I think is probably, to an extent, pseudoscience. I'm not sure it's, it's, that, it's legitimate that if you train at the same time as you're going to play that you have some sort of advantage. I'm not sure... There might hmm. be a marginal. Is that what there. it is? Is that the, yeah, the that's theory of the, work here? That's what... And T- Tuttle will do it at Chelsea, I'm pretty sure. Klopp definitely does it at Liverpool. That, that if you train, if you've got a game at 7.30, you train later so that your body respond, can, your body is used to, I don't know, closing people down at quarter past eight at night or whatever. <laughs> I, I don't think there's, there might be a small marginal gain in that, but it strikes me as being a bit of a reach, to be honest. But I also really don't see that it should be such a novel thing to footballers that that they'd object to it if Randnick's introduced it. I it's been around for years, and I think Mancini did it at City. It's been around for years. I'd, I'd be standard if any of them were like, well, hang on, we train at 10 o'clock in the morning and no other time. Yeah, but you could. I reckon the one club that that would apply to is Manchester yeah, probably, United. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem a bit rich, doesn't it, when you've got the situation as it is at the moment where clubs don't know what they're going to do the following day in terms of who they're going to be able to pick, whether overnight stays at hotels are even feasible or even eating meals together is... It's possible to be complaining about a late training session seems a bit churlish. Mm. Yeah, well, indeed. A lot of churlishness on display post the final whistle, though, with uh, Fernandes and, and Ronaldo failing to salute the visiting supporters. Much comment about uh, that. Well, Newcastle are due to be taking on Southampton on Sunday. Burnley, meanwhile, is one of the four games in hand that we mentioned they have, are due to be facing Man United on Thursday evening. All right, we'll talk a little bit more about the opening set of fixtures for 2022 next. It's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line. We're talking to Joe in Newcastle and Greg in Norwich. How are you feeling, gents? Oh, yeah, good. Optimistic, Paddy. Uh, But your team's at the bottom of the table. Why are you so happy? Well, I think I speak for Norwich and Newcastle fans everywhere when I say we really fancy our chances of uh, winning the championship next year. 
Silver linings, eh? Just like with Paddy Power's Bet Builder, where you get money back as a free bet if one leg lets you down. Paddy Power! Applies to pre-match online bet builder bets with minimum four legs of at least one to five odds each. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Oh, listener, if you're quick, as in before New Year's Eve concludes, you can sign up for an annual subscription to The Athletic and get a whopping 60% off. That's £24 for 12 months or £2 a month for a year if you prefer. And there you can sample all the excellent writing of folk like Dom Fifield and also at the moment a whole set of end-of-year quizzes, individual club-specific quizzes and more general ones for the neutral. Mm. Now, coming up this weekend, all sorts of games. Mention that you've got Arsenal, Man City, that's lunchtime on Saturday... Also on Saturday, Leicester, Norwich, Watford, Spurs and Palace, West Ham. Sunday then, Brentford, Villa, Everton, Brighton, Leeds, Burnley, which is a big game down the bottom. Southampton, Newcastle and Chelsea, Liverpool. Crikey. Watford, Spurs. Watford, who've now lost five successive Premier League games. Colin Miller pointing out they are the second team this season to beat Man United and then lose five successive Premier League matches. Aston Villa were the, were the other ones. Uh, do, you, do you see any chance of Watford turning around their remarkable current slump against, against Spurs? It is Spurs away from home where they don't fare quite as well. I think the one thing that you would say about Watford is that they, they need to make the most of having Emmanuel Dennis mm. for, for one more game before he goes off to, to AFCON because he's been the, the, the bright light, I guess, of their season. He's looked, he's looked really good. And if they don't have any chance of... Of, of staying up they, they'll need him to keep on firing but then they're going to lose him for well two weeks well, to they? a month well Watford is suggesting that that Nigeria haven't uh, haven't registered him as one of their players in, in within the deadline necessary for such uh, movements which but, is hmm. I mean some of the some of the chat around players going to AFCON has been pretty bad and I mean th- didn't Ajax suggest to Haller that he might prefer just to stay and play a league campaign in Holland? It's like you wouldn't do this to a an Argentina player or an Italy player ahead of a tournament. I think you would probably. I think I, think, I would. I but. I disagree a little bit on on whether I think certainly that the European clubs would do it for South America if they did, if they were staging yet another Copa America in the middle of the season. I think the European clubs would. would and kick if the up Euros a force. were in the middle of the season and wait till you know the World Cup as well, we'll, we'll see. I guess how. How it all pans out for, for that. Um, anyway, there you go. That's Watford Spurs. What else excites you about January 1st stroke 2nd, fixture-wise? Dom, what are, what are you itching to see? Well, I'll be watching Palace West Ham. Ah. I, I liked West Ham's performance at, at Watford and, and to be a tester of a Patrick Vieira-less Palace um, this, this weekend. I imagine that he still won't be on the touchline. Um, Declan Rice's return for... For West Ham as well, um, P- Palace. I watched Palace against Norwich, and I don't. I think it was actually arguably one of Palace's worst performances of the season. But Norwich, oh my word! <laughs> I mean, I felt I felt really sorry for Dean Smith. That 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 selection was absolutely decimated. I mean, gone. Um, but I I don't think I've ever seen a worse team in the Premier League. I mean, it's, it, really? I felt really sorry for them, to be honest. It was just there awful. was this team two years ago called Norwich. I seem to remember. 
John, why do the Norwich fans have it with Billy Gilmore to such an extent? I think it's probably... I mean, look, he hasn't pulled up trees there. Um, he came with a big reputation, not least from the his performance in the one game he played at the European Championships in the summer, but he also you know, was on the bench at a European Cup final last season. They probably thought he would... He would be excellent for them, but I think you turn on the low knee first of all. I think that a few people were citing sort of him laughing and joking with with his you know, teammates back at his parent club after the seven nil the other week. But I mean, it's it, it seems a bit unfair to be going at the teenager. He's he's not one of their big problems to be honest at, at Norwich. They, they just don't have any players that look really up to up to the Premier League at, at the moment. Um, but it was it was fairly poisonous at Sellers Park. I mean, the the, the videos doing the rounds on on social media made it pretty clear that, that Norwich have had enough um, mm. of, of him. And 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 you know they may look at it now and think, well, what's the point of us, you know, developing another another club's talent here? What maybe we should be blooding some of our youngsters if we, if it's if this is the way the season's going to be going? Then let's let's do that instead. Mm. That that is the slight. You do get some Chelsea fans who are like, well, when he wasn't in the team, well, well, this is a disgrace. You know why? Why Norwich using him? We we lent them this this star, this you know rising star, and they're not even utilising him. But but for me, I mean, Norwich, no team has ever scored in English top flight history fewer than twenty goals in a in a complete season. Norwich are on eight halfway through. So obviously, Derby's record of eleven points is never going to get beaten. But I think Norwich have got a chance. I think of, of scoring fewer than twenty, which is. How many did Derby get that season, Duncan? They got twenty. So did they? I think, right. and one 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 other team has got twenty. Um, so yeah, it's, I think it's it's on. It's definitely possible. Not, not a single player in that team had scored a goal in the Premier League. Uh, they played at Sellers Park. Wow! Not a single goal between them. <laughs> the problem with with Norwich, the reason it's drawn a bit more toxic, is partly does, as Duncan says, they they kind of went through it two years ago, and I think it's hard to swallow doing it a second time in such quick succession. But it's also, I think Brentford make them look really bad because Brentford have a run on a lower budget than Norwich or similar budgets in Norwich and are much more competitive. They have their model that they, that, and they're very different models. I think that seeing Brentford kind of take to the Premier League so smoothly makes Norwich fans think, okay, actually maybe we don't have to put up. It, it, isn't, mm. it isn't a choice between like risking everything or being sustainable but finishing bottom of the Premier League. There is a way of doing what they're doing but better. And that has ch- I think that's changed the, the environment at Norwich a little bit. Well, Norwich is eight goals after 19 Premier League matches. Is the lowest in a top flight season since, do you know who, Duncan? Uh, Leicester back in 1977-78, who ended that season with, with 26. So cut My. loose in the second half but still finished bottom. Would you know so, who Norwich uh, are facing this Saturday? Could it be Leicester City? Right. Yeah, in the only eight goals after 19 top flight matches, Derby. Extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, I don't think we need to consult the supercomputer to know what the prediction is on that match. Duncan, what are, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Well, I was going to say that Leicester-Norwich game. Because Were you? Obviously we, we've got the Jamie Vardy situation. He's not looking super fit at the moment, but still hasn't scored 10 goals. But he's got nine goals, which is one more than Norwich. So there's a nice little... Little combo there. Um, what else? Don't know. Really? Uh, just see how it pans out. Eh? What about that Leeds Burnley game? That's going to be huge, isn't it, Rory? Well, yeah. I think there's two really interesting games at the bottom. Obviously, Arsenal, City, and Chelsea, Liverpool are the, are the two big, big ticket mm. items. But I think, yeah, on Sunday, Leeds, Burnley, Southampton, Newcastle, potentially really clarify things at the bottom a little bit this weekend. As if if Leeds and Southampton win then I would suggest that things are a lot bleaker for Burnley and Newcastle than they might be on New Year's Eve. That they'll, you know, they'll go into the new year with full of hope and expectation and, and dreams. And it, it could be that, you know, by what, four o'clock on January the second, mm. they they might all be done. Does it I think if, if yeah, if Leeds and Southampton win, then that suddenly makes everything very complicated, particularly for Newcastle. Um, those are both both big and quite important games. Right. I think it makes it complicated for Ranieri as well because yep. that would essentially make it a three from four at the bottom. And as we know, Watford tend to kind of view such scenarios as uh, a reason to make changes. So, Crikey, not you as well. We've had Daniel banging on about Sat Ranieri for even before he arrived, I think. He's had a good crack at, at the whip, you know. It's Ten time games. to move on, yeah. Who's, who's next? Is it Kike again? Is it, is it his turn? Yeah. It should be, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Might be you, Dom, I don't know. 
Um, oh, but it is funny that, that Ranieri obviously kind of came in. Yeah. He was given that the freebie of being beaten heavily by Liverpool. And then the second game, I think they won at Everton, didn't they? They won 5 2 at Everton. Mm. And at some point, he, he beat Manchester United in the midst. Mm. And it's in the same way as when a player plays really well in an, in an FA Cup quarter final that's on BBC One or mm. ITV, whoever's got the Cup these days, that's on terrestrial TV. Th- th- that kind of creates the impression in the general public that he is a good player, regardless of whatever else he does in his career. Mm. It's interesting that with Ranieri, he kind of had two notable wins. And I think most people would assume that he's done a good job at Watford, but he has, in fact, lost five games on but the they, spin. But they have been going through a terrible run of fixtures. I mean, it, it, it always was a really challenging set yeah. of games that he faced. But, uh, yeah, well, well, we'll see. Big match for them anyway this weekend. 2022 awaits. But in today's show, we haven't quite finished with 2021. Let's finish off after this with a little bit more of our notable talking points from the year that was. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which will give some cheer to all you Hammers fans when David Moyes signs Maran Fellaini to help with West Ham's latest injury crisis. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Other T's and C's apply. And please, gamble responsibly. Twenty twenty one then, uh, Rory. I think you were saying at the start that all your memories were dominated by the European Super League or the disappearing Super League, as it swiftly became. Although no, I, said webs- the, I said the Euro. Oh, the Euro. But, but I also think the Super League is right. Is, yeah, I have you know very clear memories of the Super League as well. I can right. remember two things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I can't even do that. It's a, it's how do you do that, Rory? I mean, genuinely, <laughs> my memory is rubbish these days. What's going on? It's it's because of the the warping factor of the nature of the pandemic that all of our days are the same. So it makes it very difficult to distinguish one day from another, which means you don't actually have any kind of grasp of when things happened. That's mm. the problem we've all got. Well, I can tell you that within the last twelve months, Messi left Barcelona. Did he? You had that, yeah. The whole seismic business of the Super League, uh, of discovering there is an owner more horrifying than Mike Ashley up on a uh, time side. Uh, Ronaldo joining Man United it's loads of things Roy Hodgson bowing out from the management game that's pretty epochal what what, what stands out for you what was your favourite what was the favourite thing you, uh, Rory for example you what was your favourite kind of quirky story of, 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 of the incredible run that you've put together at the I New York Times I don't know let me, hold on, let me have a look let me see what I've written while Rory's yeah, having a I look I genuinely have no idea I'll, I'll agree with, with Fifi on the fact that I don't remember anything I've written Right, any Dom. Can you any of those? Any do have I triggered any memories there? Of, of what you have done is made me realise that I'm, I'm really dispirited with my career at the moment because I looked through all my work and I wasn't impressed with any of it. <laughs> we all do that, Dom. Don't worry. <laughs> what through Dom's work? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a bit harsh. 
Um, well, okay, so feel-good stories then. Duncan, you're always good for those. All right, we had uh, Ryan Mason becoming the first person younger than Sky Sports to be a manager in the Premier League. That was quite emotional. Wow, um, i Una- that. Unai Emery has now won twice as many European trophies as Arsenal, which, which went down well. Uh, Phil Foden overtook Leeds for major honours, um, which is impressive. Uh, Andy Carroll's still got more Euros goals than Kylian Mbappe, which we didn't necessarily what? figure was going to happen. How is that yet. possible? Just with one chronology and all, and all that stuff. <laughs> um, we saw uh, Kevin Lasagna end on the same number of goals as Declan Rice for the first time in a Carl <laughs> Super <laughs> And we saw Kepper win all of the major uh, European honours. Champions League, Super Cup and Europa League in the space of 805 days, which, you know, not a lot of players have done. So no, that's off sure. to oh, One other story that loads of people are, are getting excited about as one of the, the feel-good tales of 2021 is Ben Bertrand Diaz. Mm, yeah, that's a great story, Bertrand Diaz. The fact that he's become gone from kind of a, a resident of Stoke to being a national <laughs> hero in Chile is is incredible this you know this someone who didn't really realize he was chilean but has has been has, oh, i think he knew he knew he i think he knew he had chilean ancestry but i don't well, think no, his from, mum's chilean yeah yeah but from re- reading um reading interviews with him he doesn't seem yeah. to have kind of particularly identified as chilean no no until it was as though he only he would only be chilean if he could also be the, like the best chilean but it was almost like a sort of joke someone spotted on a computer game that he he was, you know, eligible and, and kind of did it. Wait, as no, a sort okay. Of joke. So he mentioned it in a, a match day program, and someone for football manager who was researching or who, who basically keeps it uh, on top of Blackburn Rovers, then f- mentioned it in the actual game notes, and then it got picked mm. up. Um, I believe his Instagram feed got they, you know, thousands of Chileans slid into his DMs, and he, he got called up, added Diaz to his name, and went from this kind of. Also ran in the in the championship, and he had two goals in two seasons, becoming mm. the star of the Chilean national side, playing against Messi in the Copa America, becoming a po- he's, he does Pepsi endorsements now in Chile. Yeah, but it's very rare just to see someone just grow his hair, add Diaz to the end of your name, <laughs> score in the Copa America, and then he's kind of like the the Web three point zero version of Paul Warhurst or something. I don't know. I'm trying to like get a grasp on how good he is, but I mean, it's pretty likely whether with Blackburn or or due to the transfer market mm. he'll be in the Premier League next season so it's good it's a heartwarming story the other aspect of, of the Ben Brereton Diaz story that, that is heartwarming is that he was actually a really talented kid that there, there was a point when, especially when he was at Forest when he was re- regarded really highly within within kind of the England setups, and there were Premier League teams watching him and his career did seem to drift until as Duncan says he grew his hair Started calling himself Diaz and became a, <laughs> and maybe I don't know. It kind of proves you see a lot of it, like people talking about like Jared. Would Jared Bowen get more praise, right? If he was if he was foreign, and there's probably an element of that that we do overlook in this place. So maybe would ben Sam Berriton Allardyce is, have managed yeah, Real Madrid if he was Allardyce. Yeah. Maybe Bren, Ben Berrett and Diaz is the is the archetype. He's set mm. set down. This is what you have to do. You grow a beard. You grow your hair. You add a South American sounding bit to your surname, and suddenly you play like a South American and get all this all this credit. Does, there will be a, whoever signs. Him, the fans would be much more excited by signing Ben Brereton Diaz than they would have been by signing Ben Brereton. Yeah, probably won't qualify for a work permit either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just happens at midweek, he scored again in Blackburn's 2 1 win over Barnsley, the sixth straight victory, and that takes him up to 20 goals for the season. And we're not even at New Year's Day yet. Crikey! That's I thought. saw someone say on Twitter it was a thousand to one for for Diaz, our pal, to get to twenty league goals this season mm. at one at one point, which seems generous. But doesn't it? Yeah, he's done it. He's done it before New Year. So hats remarkable, off. remarkable. That's the nice thing that happened in twenty twenty one, or one of it. Uh, what what about the bad stuff? Any any thoughts, people? When you mention Super League, for example, they tend to kind of look at you knowingly and go, "It's coming back." coming back is it though Rory I would be very surprised at the current trajectory if at some point there wasn't a continental Europe an attempt at least to do a continental European one excluding the Premier League in Italy and Spain there was certainly less fury about it than there was in England a lot of the you know the, the, the demonstrations were, were were in England it was I think the Italians and the Spanish maybe maybe the fans saw a little bit where the clubs were coming from or they're so used to being 
hmm. you know, the club's being run in a way that they get to do whatever they like and the fans are just expected to go along with it, that maybe there wasn't that same level of objection. I think you, you can increasingly make a case for some kind of... Fin- there needs to be some sort of financial realignment, especially on the continent. I think you need financial realignment in England as well, but for different reasons. Because if you look at the the stories that have dominated this year, whether it's the, the kind of collapse of Barcelona, the the loss of Messi to PSG the sale of Newcastle to the Saudis or the Super League, it is all to do with the fact that, that some clubs in football, the football is run, is determined now by vast, incomprehensible sums of money, that it's the sport has been hijacked by other forces for their own reasons, but also that there is, that it's, it's hit, especially on the continent, it's hitting a wall and the, the, the teams there just cannot mm. cope with the wealth of the Premier League, the wealth that keeps pouring into the Premier League and PSG. And that will take us down a road that I suspect ends with someone, you'd like to think it ends with someone saying, look, we need to think of a way of running this game so that it works much more sustainably, but it probably won't. It will It will end with the elite saying, this doesn't work for us anymore. We're going to do our own thing. And if the English clubs won't come, come with us, then we'll do it by ourselves. Mm. Well, certainly in Italy, the media coverage was very much delighted to be potentially earning same kind of riches as Premier League clubs first and any thoughts about what it might mean to their domestic traditions second but yeah maybe had it lasted more than 48 hours there would have been a little bit more reflection there apparently one of the things that the the English clubs had to explain so that in the talks of the Super League the English clubs were the ones who wanted it to be kept vaguely open they wanted spaces so that you could other teams could come in and, and fall out and they had to explain the concept of relegation to Real Madrid and Barcelona because Real Madrid and Barcelona had thought so little about the idea that they might be relegated, that it didn't occur. They had no concept that you had to have jeopardy in football or that you had to have kind of a pyramid. They, Real Madrid and Barcelona just didn't really get that idea. I think Juve would have been the same. Like, we're, we're not going to be relegated, so mm. why would Although, they? Juve yeah. have been. Mm. But yeah, Real Madrid and Barcelona would... Juve were just t- like, how many SIM cards do we need? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. The, yeah, and Ouch. I think that that shows shows you to an extent where those clubs are coming from. They right. they do not have any real desire to have an open competition. So I think that's the that's been the theme of the year is football simultaneously craving more and more and more money as it mm. maybe that's obvious as it rapidly runs out of it. It did leave us with the image of Petr Cech on the King's Road trying to remonstrate with supporters, and mm. you know it, that was that was the encouraging thing about it, wasn't it? I mean, it was such a depressing yeah. concept, but the fact that it mobilised supporters, yeah, who weren't even allowed into stadia at the time to to go and protest at all the the six clubs. I mean, you took heart from that. I took heart from that. Definitely, yeah. I think actually watching coverage that night. With with simultaneously with games going on and the word coming through that the whole thing was was falling apart was was pretty much my football highlight of twenty twenty one. It was the Monday night football, wasn't there? I think it was Leeds Liverpool the game, and and obviously the first hour was was Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville sort of strongly remonstrating and essentially almost are asking fans to rise up at, at right. various points, and. Um, and then they had to cross to the game at 8 o'clock and it, I don't think anyone wanted to watch that game at that point. It felt like such a hollow enterprise. Um, but as you say, it moved so fast and so rapidly that it was... I mean, it was a shame that fans can't mobilise about other other factors, mm. I think, but it did show the, the, the power that supporters do and still have. Mm. All right, then. Any other nice football memories you want to wrap up uh, 2021 with? Dom? Nice football memories... <laughs> I find it, I mean, when there weren't supporters in the stadium, I find it hard to, to look back with great fondness on, on, on what was happening particularly. Although, you know, as, as a fan, I, I did enjoy watching my team on the television, admittedly, um, scoring two goals at Brighton with two touches in their box, uh, <laughs> which was which was a personal highlight and um, a nice way for Roy Hodgson to go out. Um, but... It's all look. I'll go back to what I started with. It's yeah. it's it's been about the noise in the stadium again. It's been about that crackling atmosphere and just just enjoying being present again. Um, that that's been the highlight. And and I mean, even going to not I've been going to a lot of non-league games when I can in, in in recent weeks, and it's it's been brilliant. I mean, it's almost like I'd forgotten what it was like over that twelve months when we were outside the grounds. I think it's reminded fans what you know what going to football is about and what supporting your team and enjoying that just hopefully because as we know on social media it has all become about the result almost completely but 
part of football is going to the games and enjoying. You might lose, but it's still you're with your friends. You've had a nice day out, sort of thing. And I think you don't realise it's cliche. But you don't realise what you've got until it's taken away. And I think for me that the Tielemans goal in the cup final, the, seeing the Leicester fans so excited and and that noise when it went in, that mm. was that was a real like, oh yeah, this is what football's about. Not you know someone a TV company messing up the the goal celebration sound because the ball hits the, hit the side netting, which did did amuse me a few times, but was wasn't the essence of football. I was right. TV companies, eh? All right then. Well, for me, obviously, the highlight of 2021, apart from that Monday night, is doing the podcast and having everything that's taken place explained to me by fine footballing minds like yours. So thank you so much, Duncan, Dom and Rory, for being with us today and throughout 2021. Anything else you wanted to add before I wrap this up? I think if you want to sum up 2021 in football in a phrase, um, I think Michael Owen said it best, which was grab your NFT horse and let's race. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, (laughs) goodbye 2021. (laughs) And goodbye for now to Duncan, Dom and Rory. Producer Charlie and you listen. Have a great New Year's Eve if you catch us before. Uh, that particular event and we'll see you on the other side totally is back on monday to round up all the weekend fixtures in the meantime from all of us here happy new year and goodbye you've been listening to the totally football show part of the athletic podcast network listen ad free on the athletic app and discover bonus content by following the athletic uk audio plus on apple podcasts find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.